0: Is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains, and globalization, and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work, and our travel over recent decades. Today on the show, we will be talking to Cheryl Hudgens Williams, who joins us from the state of Maryland in the United States. Cheryl is CEO of Hudgens Williams Associates, a consulting firm providing expert marketing communications consulting for organizations, as well as career and executive coaching for individuals. Cheryl also serves as a senior consultant at Tecker International, a leader in association consulting for over three decades, and her professional experience extends to over 50 countries. And I'm looking forward very much to talking to her today about the value that companies can derive from investing time and money in C-suite and team coaching. So thank you very much, Cheryl, for being here with us today.
1: It's good to be here. Thank you for having me, Patrick.
0: You're very welcome, Cheryl. Um, could you tell me to kick off, Cheryl, um, maybe just an overview about your career uh, to date, particularly the international aspect, and how did you come to be where you are now?
1: Oh, sure. So, out of university in the state of North Carolina, I began work with uh, multinational Procter & Gamble. I'm guessing most everyone has heard of it at this point, yeah. one of the top marketers in the world. I started my career in IT, um, what was called management systems at the time, but that turned out not to be a fit after about seven or eight years, and I moved into more of a marketing communications role with them, with nonprofits, and came back to doing that with Procter & Gamble, mostly in the Beauty division, where I was responsible for building the beauty brand division around the world and building its reputation because Procter & Gamble is known as a soap company um, historically, more than as a beauty company. And yet we have significant, had, I should say, significant global brands in that area. My international experience came there working on brands like Max Factor, which was in over 100 countries around the world and helping to expand it even further and I also was blessed to have an experience living in Singapore for a year and a half. We acquired a luxury cosmetics brand and skincare brand called SK2 out of Japan. And I was responsible for helping to globalize that from a communication standpoint. So that was a fun time in Singapore, but we also brought CoverGirl to Russia and Switzerland. It's kind of a historic, Um, American brand, kind of, uh, you know, Valley Girl, West Coast American brand that we globalized as well. So that was predominantly my global experience there. When I left Procter & Gamble in 2010, I moved into the nonprofit arena and worked for an organization that did humanitarian work, what we call last mile work. So work after Um, the major organizations leave kind of very local, very community based, and did both emergency work, but also development there, community development, um, education and training, where I led marketing and creative services. And that was very different from the luxury work with Procter & Gamble. This was more working with folks whose... um, you know, cap, per capita income was less than what we make in in an hour or half a day, typically. So, in countries like Niger, like Nicaragua, like uh, Indonesia, so around the world, doing that sort of work as well. And then in 2017, I started my. Um, company, Hudgens-Williams Associates, and I focused, as you kindly mentioned in your introduction, in three areas, strategic planning for global associations through an affiliation with Tucker International, and then I do marketing communications work, primarily but not exclusively, for nonprofits, and then finally, where my really where my passion and my heart lies is around the coaching work that I do with individuals, folks ranging from C-suite folks um, for for profits uh, on um, I don't want to say on down to, but with entry level folks as well, so people across the spectrum who are trying to achieve peak professional performance in their lives.
0: And from your international experience, what kind of cultural differences and similarities were you struck by in the different places that you you worked?
1: Well, one thing personally that I'll share and then I'll shift to the professional, but one thing personally I noticed is that as an African-American woman, I felt more American. When I was outside the US sometimes, when I'm in it. So people would look at me and say, huh, I'm not quite sure where you're from, but as soon as you speak, as soon as I speak, people can, you know, pretty much get that it. it's an American accent. So that was an interesting view for me um, living outside and traveling so much outside the world um, from, uh, from that perspective, from an ethnicity and how I operate in the world perspective. Uh, Professionally, most of the multinationals, I think perhaps unfortunately, but many of them focus from a Eurocentric, American-centric kind of perspective. And I think that there's a huge opportunity that hopefully is starting to be more um, appreciated of starting from a local perspective and understanding what's there, what can be gained from that, and how that can be applied. So there was always the, you know, act global think local sort of approach but i think that hopefully now that is really something that is starting to take hold in a way that might not have been um a decade ago
0: okay and then today in uh, hudgens williams associates could you tell us a little bit more in in detail about what are the services that you provide i know you refer to them in your in your overview of your career um and how do your clients typically benefit from working with you?
1: So to focus specifically on the area of coaching, it really is about helping people achieve peak professional performance and helping them um, really improve your job satisfaction. When you think in terms of your job satisfaction, there's two aspects of it. There's how well you're doing your job and how much you enjoy it. So people always say, you know, they call it work for a reason, it's not supposed to be fun. I don't necessarily believe, maybe not fun all the time, but you will do better when you find enjoyment in that. And as a coach, it's really an opportunity for you instead of having to speak to your spouse or partner or employees or supervisor or board who always have their own agenda. It's an opportunity to work with an individual to help them identify and achieve their agenda in a totally objective way. So that's really that piece of the business that I enjoy From a team standpoint, it's a little different because, again, you're achieving the goal of the organization, but you're helping individuals achieve their peak professional performance to do that. Okay. And what you call marketing communication, how how does that manifest
0: as 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 a service?
1: So for marketing communications, I'm mostly working right now with humanitarian organizations and with arts and cultures arts and cultural organizations to help them um, brand themselves. I mean, the competition, and I this applies in the corporate arena as well. To get your voice heard is just amazing. It's um, I read recently that there's about five thousand marketing messages that we receive in a given day or week and it's just too much so how do you cut through the clutter and that's really really and this is something that i took from my time at procter and gamble that i applied to All of my clients, corporate, nonprofit, whoever. It starts with intimate understanding of who your target audience is, knowing them as not a monolithic group of women or men or lawyers or manufacturing um, business owners or whatever it is, but really segmenting and intimately understanding and communicating with them on a regular basis to form a relationship so that you can then share the messages about what you want them to know about what you are delivering that makes your business special and unique and mapping that. To what they want to hear because let me tell you, those aren't always the same thing, in fact, they usually aren't. So, it's going through that sort of exercise um, with intimate understanding and research, then creating the messaging strategy. People say, Oh, get me a viral video, or get me on you know, whatever the big television is, you know, show is get me on the BBC, or you know, do uh, Facebook ads or do Google search, and all of that, you know. SEO all of that is important but you really need to start with who you're trying to reach what they want to hear and what you need them to hear and then all of the hows all of the different tools that you can use to do that fall into place.
0: You mentioned uh, also um, your strategy work with uh, Tecker International could you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So in the U.S. alone, there's about 64,000 associations. And we also work with Canada, and I'm actually about to um, work with the U.K., Uh, organization of associations, the AAE. They're based out of the UK, but they work globally as well. So I don't know how many there are globally, but I know there's quite a few in the US. And the idea behind them is to bring people, getting back to that who, an intimate understanding of who your client or customer is, bringing them together to achieve common goals, whether it's professional development, whether it's certification, whether it's making a bigger impact in the world. So working with them on areas like governance, like strategic planning, what makes associations unique, is that they are a combination of volunteers and staff. and Ideally, they're passionate volunteers, um, but you need to understand, again, their motivations, and it's different working with associations to get stuff done. In addition, associations are made up of people like your listeners who are CEOs, who are leaders of their organization. Who are used to doing things in a certain way and being successful at it. So then you come into this volunteer organization where you are dealing with a series of people at that level who have different means of getting things done. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done on both the strategic planning side to make sure that everyone is clear and walking in the same direction, but also making sure that you're leveraging all the incredible gifts that you're your volunteers bring and keeping them motivated and engaged. And then there's all the people who are not involved on a day-to-day basis. How do they benefit? Why do they want to continue to invest in their dues every year and understanding them as well? 93.9 Dublin South
0: FM. So right now we have a situation all over the world where businesses are emerging from the coronavirus pandemic. And you're emerging into a world with a supply chain crisis and an environment that's totally transformed and still transforming very rapidly um, in relation to energy, in relation to the environment, technology, social media, not to mention people's attitude to to work and career and development. So what are some of the top issues that C-suite leaders are facing today? One, as, as teams. And, and two, as individual managers or directors.
1: So, you know, we could list dozens, and you mentioned a few, but I'll pick three, two of which I have some expertise in. One is around people, your people, and how you maintain them in a world where their lives have changed not just personally, but professionally, how and where they operate and how they want to do this and how they want to get things done. The second is around the self. You've changed, too. Your people haven't just changed, but you and your listeners have changed as well over the the course of this year and in ways that you may not have expected. So how do you think differently about what you want from your professional life and where you want to go? The third, which I'm sure you've talked about quite a bit, which is not an area of expertise, is clearly around the supply chain, but this whole people issue Feeds into that so much, you know. It's not just about ships being, you know, stuck in the ocean for for you know random reasons. They're there because there aren't necessarily always the people to manage that. So, so I would pick people itself. Although you certainly talked about um, the environment and climate being an issue, um, politics and divisiveness and politics around the world new emerging superpowers and how that affects all of us around the world are issues. But the two that I think that uh, I find passion in supporting are around people in general, your people, the people you hire to get things done, as well as yourself and how you're different as a result, as a result of, um, of the pandemic and how it's changed the world and your family and your life.
0: Okay, so we hear a lot as well, a lot of criticism of leadership today, both in political and in business arenas. Uh, Maybe a double barrel question Do you think the criticism is justified? And what do you think are the unique factors at play in our times that are making leadership so challenging right now?
1: So, absolutely, some of it is warranted. (laughs) (laughs) There's no question. It's all of warranted. Obviously, this is a situational question and it really does depend. But yeah, absolutely. Some of it is warranted. I am one of the people that believe that the labor issues are a result of a long-term recognition. Reckoning that we hadn't necessarily globally in the US and other countries, um, many other countries been valuing employees at the rate that they needed to be. So I think, yeah, that's part part of the reckoning. But I also know that there are a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders out there who have consistently tried to, are trying to do the right thing. And I think that um, tarring all of leadership, all of executives, all of corporate America, corporate globally, corporations around the world with the same brush is is wildly inappropriate. And what we need to do is find examples of folks who are doing the right thing, who are trying to lead in a way that uh, values both people and and profits and, not, and finding the right balance between those and highlighting those examples.
0: Yeah, it is it is challenging. And, and not that I would def- defend Facebook in any way, but you see a situation where maybe um, th- they're allowing uh, something, they get criticized for it, and then if they remove it, they get criticized for that because they say, who are you uh, to limit our free speech? So they're getting it no matter what they do, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Isn't that a situation that is making leadership quite difficult, do you think?
1: Well, for me personally, I appreciate how Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook has kept me in touch with friends around the world, <laughs> but it's also kind of hard to to defend that, I think that the real key is values-based leadership. So if you are clear, and that's part of the work that I um, do with associations with Tecker International, is focusing on your values. If you operate based on your values and, and knowing what they are, let's start with that. What are your organizational institutional values? and operating against them, then yeah, there's always going to be people who disagree with you. Um, Yogi Berra used to say, some of the fans are booing and some of the fans are cheering. <laughs> <laughs> case, yeah. you know, But if you are operating um, near in a value consistent way, then then you can defend it if you need to, or you don't have to, because people appreciate consistency. People appreciate knowing where you stand, Um, sometimes even if they don't agree with where you stand.
0: We've um, touched on, as we've been talking, you know, that, that, that people are reassessing and making changes and so on. But what do you think or what have you seen as kind of the key questions they're asking themselves about their changing priorities? What kind of intelligence are you picking up about what the issues are with them and why they're changing?
1: People lost a lot in the pandemic. They lost trust in government. They lost beloved family members. They lost connection. And I can hardly find And, instance, it seems unimaginable that that wouldn't change each of us in some way, shape, or form, that we have to look differently. As a result, and I doubt that I'm saying anything here that you haven't heard elsewhere, people are reprioritizing. In the U.S., we're calling it the Great Resignation. I believe it's... um, also happening in varying degrees in other work in in other parts of the world. And it's because people who are reaching a certain age are like, you know what, I don't need to do this anymore. I wanna spend more time with my family. I wanna spend more time with my loved ones. Or to the point we were discussing earlier, people are realizing that their values don't match up with the organization they find themselves working for. So people are reassessing if they still need to work or want to work, what their values are, and how they can match up to the institutional organization they work for for and from. And then there's the practical issue of it, of safety. Um, People are being, um, are having varying degrees of comfort with being out in the world. And if you have an employer where you've been successful, you feel, and, you know, the, the employee at the institution has been successful in the past year, why are they forcing you to come back into the office? There's a lot of organizations that aren't. So I would say it's those three areas. Now, um,
0: we've we've discussed about y- your career started with uh, multinationals. I work a lot with multinationals, and I think of multinationals as they are today. They're almost a manifestation of this process of globalization that's been ongoing, you know, strongly maybe since um, 1970 or something something like that. Um, but in recent years, the last five, six, seven years, we've seen things like Brexit in this part of the world. You had the election of of Trump uh, in America and a kind of a a turn inwards that that happened during his administration. We've had geopolitical tensions uh, all over the place, but most notably China and the US. We have all the environmental considerations that seem to be acting against this globalization and there may be a reconfiguration going on something's going on so where do you think we're at with that is it is it going backwards is it stalled is it a blip or is it just changing form what do you think
1: i think it's a one i think it's very very uh regional so Obviously, here in the U.S., we've swung the pendulum from one extreme to the other. And it really does vary regionally. But overall, the world has always operated under pendulum swings, that things move to one extreme and people are like, oh, that was an overreaction. So we move the pendulum too far in the other direction. And I think the most challenging piece about that is that most people around the world are somewhere in the middle you know if you look at the bell curve if you look at the sine curve most people are close to the middle but unfortunately the voices that are heard are the ones that are the extreme that keep swinging their pendulum in different directions I would like to believe that most individuals, most leaders, most of us around the world are to some degree values driven, even if we don't always articulate it. But the challenge is whose values and are those values if, are, are those values self-interest? Are those values more about me versus us? Because ultimately, if your values are about us, that means giving up some of the me. And there's a whole lot of people, unfortunately, in the world who aren't willing to make that choice.
0: Now, as we come into the, uh, the final stretch of the interview, we're going to maybe change gears a bit, stick shift like this, and uh, maybe just ask you a little bit about yourself. So when you're not working or thinking about these types of uh, issues, what do you like to do in your spare time?
1: So, the most important thing I like to do is spend time with family. Um, I have grandnieces and nephews, and they are wonderful. The youngest is around two, and the oldest is around 40. So, we've got quite a range in there. So, I love spending time with family. I um I watch, you know, I I hate to say it, but American football. So not football, obviously, but American football. <laughs> so I watch a lot of that around this time of year. And I do love to read. I read a lot of um, novels, and I also do professional development reading quite a bit. So right now, I'm all into team coaching and how to be the best team coach that I can possibly be. I'm already feeling pretty good about where I am on um, individual coaching. But what I love about individual coaching is that I, I know people say this all the time, but I really do learn often as much from my clients because it is so different than advising. I love that I have a practice that gives advice because I love giving advice, you know, but but what I love about coaching is it's never about giving advice unless, you know, the person has depleted all of their own perspective. And I learned so much from how people approach how they would do things. And every coaching conversation leads to an improvement progress towards peak professional performance and your goals. So that's what I love about that. But you asked about what I'm reading. So um, I read a lot of HBR, uh, Harvard Business Review, I'm sorry. So I read a lot of their articles and travel. So I'm looking forward to traveling again. So I read a lot of uh, travel journals just to dream about when I can go back to Singapore and visit with my friends there once again.
0: So is is Singapore the first place on your agenda or where where would you like to go?
1: Oh, internationally. Internationally, Singapore is pretty much at the top of the list, but I'm a person who's been to more countries than I have U.S. states. So I do have actually a lot of room to visit in the U.S. I, I, you know, I've lived in the U.S. all my life, except for my time in Asia, and I've never been to the Grand Canyon. So, so there is some, some places I could visit domestically as well.
0: So, Cheryl, to finish then, where can people find out more about you, about your work, and how can they find you and contact you?
1: Oh, thank you, Patrick. I am on LinkedIn. You can search Cheryl Hudgens, hudtins Williams, so you can find me there. My website is cghwilliams.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly via email at Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L at cghwilliams.com. I'd love to hear from you and chat with any individual at any time about coaching and how you can achieve peak professional performance, but also about any of the other areas I've discussed. I love talking, working with folks on values and then on if you're working with nonprofits or if you're interested as a corporation in identifying ways that you can become more socially responsible. That's work that I'd love to chat with you about
0: well excellent cheryl it's been an absolute pleasure and wish you the very best for the future both personally and professionally
1: you too as well patrick thank you
0: bye bye all the best thanks also to our listeners for tuning in any comments or questions just drop me a line on pdaily at albalogistics.com keep well and stay safe until next time